Welcome to another episode of the Share Your Stories series. This is a podcast-like experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I'm your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. Before we begin, I wanted to share a little bit about the series and the story behind it. So I've been connecting with a lot of people lately, and as I connect with them, I'm learning their stories. And every story that I hear is so fascinating to me, and I get so much out of it. And I wanted to share these stories with others. So I teamed up with the nonprofit organization Reimagine um, to bring these stories out into the open. And so that's how this story, story series got started. This episode will be a very special one because I'm here with my mom, Chris Rencher. She's a grandma, a mom, a nurse, and a family history buff. She has an incredible gift of connecting with people, especially children and teenagers. Chris has a huge heart and finds joy in spoiling the children in her life, regardless of what age they are and how they're connected with her. She is passionate about she is also passionate about reforming the healthcare system so it can better care for its workers and the people it serves. Mom, I'm so glad you're willing to come and share some of your experiences with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You have so many wonderful stories and you're such a good storyteller. So uh, one of the highlights of our lives for my kids is story time with grandma. We get on a Zoom call and grandma reads us stories. And it's been so fun for my kids and even for me to connect with grandma in this way. So, well, I like stories. I, I like did. to tell stories. Um, stories are a great way to give information. It's a great way to connect with people. The problem that you have sometimes is when you make up the story and you tell the story to the grandkids and then they want the story retold and you don't remember how you told it the first time. <laughs> then you end up with a story that's out there and they're going, that's not how it was the first time. And you're going, uh, whoops, this is the second time. This is a new story because you can't remember sometimes. It's kind of the same way traditions get started. You know, you do something yeah. once and then all of a sudden it was, hey, that was fun. Can we do it again? And now you have a tradition that you're going, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, and stories are fluid. They can be fluid, depending on our perspective. As we, as we grow and as we learn, as life continues, we see things differently. So when you're a first grader and you look up your uh, look up at your teacher, your teacher's pretty tall. But then when you meet your teacher again as an adult, you look up at her and you think, oh, you're not very tall. That's true. That's the way it is with everything. I remember when I was little, I used to think my grandpa was like enormously tall. Then Grandpa Nelson, I mean, he stood about 5'10", but when you're little, you think he walks on the moon. I can remember trying to follow him at campouts and he'd go across the creek on those rocks and I'd try to follow him and end up in the creek every time because I just couldn't match my footsteps with his. Yeah. But as he got older, he either seemed to shrink or I grew or my footsteps grew because toward, well, I wished towards the end, I wished that we could have walked across the creek again. But by then yeah. the Alzheimer's had taken control of his mind. And so we didn't think about the creek anymore. Yeah. I love the, so many things that I'm loving about this story. Um, I'm loving the image of following in our, ancest in our ancestors' footsteps or in, in the footsteps of those who have gone before. I love the image of growing so that our footsteps are matching theirs. And there is, there's also grief when those footsteps are no longer there. 
Yeah, but there's also lots and lots of memories. And so those footsteps stay really clear in our mind. Um, we have a tremendous family history legacy. It's absolutely tremendous. And I'm sure there are other people when they look at their family history, they find they find step stones like that that they can follow. And we just are very, very blessed that we have a legacy that's so strong from both sides of the family. Um, we have pioneer ancestry back seven, eight, nine, ten generations. We have stories of, of trials, stories of trouble, stories of, of winning and stories of courage and stories of compassion and all kinds of things that make us who we are. You know, um, I can't look at myself without looking and saying, okay, so who do I, you know, who am I like? Where did I get this from? Um, on the program Family Search, which is a church run free family history website. It's a, it's a, like a worldwide family tree. And there's a feature in there that says, who are you most like? Who do you look like? And so you put a picture of yourself in there and then you, it'll tell you which relative you look most like. When I first did that, I looked like my great, 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 great grandmother. Um, that's who I looked most like. And then I added a picture of my mom. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> goes back as far as my mom and it says, you look 68% like your mom. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you just have to look at my driver's <laughs> license and see I look like my mom. That's funny because I remember when your mom died a couple of years ago and we were going through pictures and we found that picture of your mom sitting in the living room chair and your sisters were saying, oh, this is Chris. This is little Chris. <laughs> Or this is referring to you as as, as little Lois. As little Lois. Yeah. Yeah, that was my cousin. Both of them. I mean, I those were my double cousins. And they said that. And it was like, okay, guess what? I guess I'm gonna be like my mom. But it's not it's not a bad thing, you know. I mean, she was a beautiful woman. Yeah. Especially when she was younger and she stayed alert all the way through her life. But that's one of those legacies that we have is her courage. Um, the courage of my grandparents. When I was in nursing school, I did a genome project, which is kind of tracing some characteristics back through some generations to see how they relate to me. Mm -hmm. And so I picked four characteristics and I picked four family members and went back two generations. So I picked my mom, Carl's mom, and my grandparents, my grandmothers. Mm -hmm. And the four characteristics that I picked were their religiosity, um, their cheerfulness or their happiness. I picked depression and I picked, I don't remember the fourth one, but anyway, there were two positives and two negatives. Mm -hmm. So when I went back with this genome, I found out where a lot of my strengths and my weaknesses came from. My grandmother had and Carl's grandmother had similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. They were both of pioneer stock. They both had lost a child. You know, they were both kind of in similar situations. But when you looked at the genome on them, my grandma McLean suffered some major depression when she lost mm -hmm. the baby. But she had a three-week-old, my Aunt Fern, and so she survived for the three-year-old. But she yeah. never got out of the funk of losing Agnes. Mm -hmm. um, they were young marrieds. They lost their first child. It was tough. Grandpa is a Scotsman, didn't show his feelings on the outside. And you very rarely got Grandpa to talk about anything that was more than, unless he was yelling at you. <laughs> then he'd get him to talk really well. And <laughs> um, he, there was a, there was a depressive issue there. Uh -huh. And I see that brought through to my siblings because I have a brother that suffers depression and a sister that suffers depression. And then there are, there are seven of us. So two of them suffer depression really badly. And 
five of us kind of made it through there mm -hmm. without it. But the two that suffer depression, it's exactly the same kind of depression that Grandma McLean had. Oh, so wow. somewhere there's a there's a gene or something that came through that caused my brother and my sister to react to life in a very in a more depressive mood than I did. Uh -huh. I always tended to act like my other grandmother, very optimistic, even though Grandma Nelson's life wasn't any much easier. I mean, it was easier because Grandpa was more stable. Grandpa Nelson was more stable. Mm -hmm. Their home life was more stable. And that was one of the things I looked at. Would your circumstances affect the genome? Would it affect mm -hmm. how you handle depression? And it does, you know. Um, but then I go back and I look at my great-great-grandmother and she had some tough times, but she had the courage to leave the situation. So she mm -hmm. left my great-great-grandfather in Scotland and came to America with her three sons and never went back, but yeah. she got herself out of the situation. Yeah. yeah but Grandma McLean never did. Okay. You know, she, she never found the courage to get out. And I don't think she wanted to because she loved Grandpa McLean, but there's a book out there that tells the story of Joseph Elmer and um, Jenny Durant. Mm -hmm. And she says in there that she married a wanderlust. She, when she married him, she knew that he would never settle down to be, a, you know, like stay there. Uh -huh. And so she knew that when she married him. And so she says, well, I married my wanderlust. I'll follow him wherever he goes. And she did. You know, yeah. and, and that was, it caused her to have a life that was very, very, it was very hard. I remember going to her house. Well, I remember them up on the farm and that was a lot of fun, but then grandpa lost the farm because he got swindled, mm -hmm. you know, so that added to the depression from grandpa. Mm -hmm. But I remember going to their little apartment in Idaho and it was a, like a studio apartment. Their bed was right there in the front room and it was down some stairs and grandma couldn't get up and down those stairs because of the arthritis. But I remember going down there and smelling the mentholatum and we would go for dinner and we were sitting on their bed because she had a bed and a, two chairs and a couch and a little tiny table. That was all that was in that apartment. And she lived like that for most of her life. I, I mean, the only place other than the farm that I remember them living was that little apartment in Burley. Wow. So, you know, but, but grandma and grandpa Nelson were opposite. They had that big house and it was plenty big and it had lots of room and big trees out in the front and grandpa had his garden and his cows. He'd scare us to death though, when he'd tell us that there were alligators down in the basement and we believed him. <laughs> we wouldn't go down in that basement for years because there was a dark basement and I could see alligators down there. But he also told us when we were camping that the Quakies, because we camped a lot in Utah and Idaho, mm -hmm. that the Quakey trees were white barked because the bears had already scratched off all the bark. And so those white bark was because the bears had already scratched it off. So I wasn't going to go anywhere near those white trees unless my <laughs> grandpa was with me because I wasn't going to face the bears. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Grandpa said there were bears that chased that. <laughs> I'm not going by those trees. So it took a long time for me to even realize that they were a different tree. Uh-huh. But Gramps was kind of that way anyway, you know. So I can see, I can see the differences because Carl's grandmother lost a child at the same, almost the same situation. Uh -huh. In fact, his mom lost a baby and had a younger one to take care of. But they it didn't spiral down. It spiraled up. And I think a lot of that was their their actually their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. I think that their religious conviction, and that was a big, a big of the positive factor. Those that had a strong sense of religion and a strong sense of, of who they were and who Christ was and their relationship survived much better through the difficult times. Because yeah. all of them had difficult times. Mm -hmm. I mean, none of them were, were immune to difficult times. Right. But it was, it seemed to be that their, their religiosity helped them get through those difficult times. 
in mm -hmm. a different way. And I think that that's the difference between me and my siblings. Oh, wow. Is my sense of religion has helped me get through a lot of things that they haven't had. I mean, it's been a, it's been an upward buoyant thing for me uh -huh. through all my life. So no matter what I went through, um, that's been an, an, an uplifting thing. Right. Where my siblings, even though they were raised in the same house, I don't think they ever connected with the religion. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. They, they still have the same religious beliefs I do, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's, I don't think it's internalized enough. When things get hard, they don't have that upward lift that moves them up. Yeah. And I seem to have picked that up. And maybe that's why I'm more optimistic, maybe, mm -hmm. than some of them. It certainly is why I've been able to face some of the trials. Yeah. And still come out on the other side. At least in, in pieces. I mean, I, there are times that I've been blown apart, but I'm like a vampire. just kind of pick all the pieces back up and put them back together again and say, okay, let's see if we can try this again long as they don't burn my pieces i'm okay right awesome when you start to burn my pieces then you may destroy me but breaking my pieces probably won't so it's um family history to me is okay so what i'm working on now is because i've got the lines back quite a ways uh -huh. you know all the lines are back into like 1600s uh -huh. but i have just names i have people I yeah. just have stick figures there. My goal now is to put the muscle and now, okay, so I'm a nurse. So you have to understand that what I have right now is skeletons. Uh -huh. My goal is to put the muscle and the nerves and the blood system into these people, into these skeletons, so I can see them as real people so that they become alive to me. That's what my goal is now. I think um, that's fascinating. So I want to, I want to know them. So the first mm -hmm. place I started was with Catherine McNair, McGregor McNair. Uh -huh. She's my great, great grandmother. Jenny is my grandmother. Candlin. Yeah. So she's my great, great grandmother okay. on my, on my dad's side. Yeah. So I started looking for Catherine McNair. Uh -huh. And I'm going, I got to find something about Catherine McNair, McGregor. You know, what, what happened? Where did she come from? Mm -hmm. How did she end up in Scotland? Why did she leave her husband? And what, what was it about her? Well, I found a story that says that she left home at about 18, went to Edinburgh and joined a nursing program there. And she became a nurse in Edinburgh, and that's where she met John McLean. So I went, oh, there's a, you know, there's a connection. She was a nurse. I'm a nurse, baby. Uh -huh. um, and it tells how she met him and how she lived with him, but how he had a problem with the bottle and um, they lost a child and lost a daughter. And um, she had a hard time recovering that kind of, and then she she, um, her sister had joined the church. And so she talked with her husband and said she was going to go to America to visit her sister and she was going to take the boys with her. And he said, okay. And so she left and she never came back, but that was her way out of a bad situation because he was by that time drinking a lot. Oh, okay. You know, and so I don't know if there was abuse there. I haven't dug that much into it, uh -huh. but she went to Nevada well, her trials didn't stop. She got shystered a couple of times and her genealogy becomes a little bit of a crisscross puzzle because she marries a guy and gets it annulled and marries another guy. And the kids, the boys all leave and she ends up staying there in Carson City, Nevada. But she still is a nurse and she carries that with her. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, it's amazing to see the courage that she took first to leave home at 18, yeah. go to Edinburgh, to be a nurse and then marry somebody older than she was and then to leave and take the three boys with her you know and start a whole new life in Carson City Nevada well you guys can all look at the story and you can you can see what that story is 
but it was an inspiration to me to see that you know she had the courage to do that and plus it helped that she's a nurse yeah and I was like hey I like that idea but when I look at it my aunt is a nurse Fern left the farm Fern is my dad's sister uh-huh so Fern and Clyde and my dad, the three oldest kids that grandpa figured was going to stay there and keep the farm, left. All of them went to the military. Oh, wow. Fern went in the military as a nurse. And so none of the three stayed there. So when Barter writes this book, it's the history of Joseph Elmer and Jenny Ray Durant, Jenny Ray Durant, Joseph Elmer. And you can find it on Family Search Books. It's only a 19-page book, but it's a really good little story about grandma and grandpa. Mm -hmm. But then the younger kids are left there with the farm. And they mention grandpa's Scottish um, anger. Yeah. And I saw that same quick anger in my dad. Uh-huh. And the, there was one time when I, <laughs> of course, I was probably a trial to my dad. Okay, so me and cars were the constant bane of my dad's existence. Okay, so so there's probably some reason there that he let loose with his temper with me. Um, because I did some really stupid things when I was driving. Okay, so you'll have to understand that I probably deserved it. But I had just gotten my license and I was taking all of my younger brothers and sisters. We were going to go uh, into the town from Howell, which is about 40 miles, and get new tires on my dad's truck. Okay, so first of all, I had his work truck. Second, I had all my brothers and sisters in the truck. Mm -hmm. Third, my littlest brother was about two years old. Darby was about two. So I have Darby in the front seat with me, and I, of course, he's not seat belted in. This was, you know, I wasn't breaking any rules. I wasn't breaking any laws. It wasn't, a, it was, dad didn't even have seat belts in his truck. And all the other brothers and sisters are in the back and in the back of the truck are his two big 50 gallon barrels, oil barrels, diesel barrels that he used for the backhoe. So I'm coming up the side of this hill and I'm on the outside. So I'm looking, my side is over the edge of the hill. Mm -hmm. And on the other side coming up on the opposite side is a big combine of some kind, some kind of farm equipment that stuck out over my lane. So he's got this big arm sticking out over my lane. Now, had I been mm -hmm. more experienced, I probably could have avoided it, but I wasn't. And so his big arms on his machine hit my truck, hit my dad's truck. Okay, so the big arm sliced from the headlights all the way down, took out the window post, sliced right through it like butter, on both sides of my driver's door, knocked the mirror piece into the front of the car and my little brother happened to fall down and so it missed his head. Wow. And then scraped all the way down the back side of the, van, of the truck. Well, I had slammed on the brakes, but I couldn't turn because I didn't want to roll the truck down the hill uh -huh. and kill everybody. I mean, at least they survived, but they'll tell you that I tried to kill them anyway. But, um, but the barrels fell over. And so one of my brothers was pinned under one of the barrels. Fortunately, it was almost empty. And he was, I don't know how old he was, maybe 12. I don't know. I was, I was 16 at the max. Mm -hmm. So um, my older sister wasn't there, but the rest of them were. And so I stopped my, the van and panicked, pulled my littlest brother up from the car's seat and swept off the glass made sure he wasn't cut and we were supposed to meet my mom in at the gas station so she was going to go with us to meet to get the tires on the car well mm -hmm. we didn't have cell phones at that point yeah so my mom is waiting for me at the gas station and two highway patrolmen come in and are talking where my mom can hear them and they says oh there's an accident out in hell so we were going to go out there my mom knew immediately that it was me and you know just from i probably from some of the other dumb things I'd done is with my driver's license. She beat the cops out there. Uh, she floored it. I bet she made that trip 40, 45 miles, however far it is from Tremont to Howe in about 15 minutes. Wow. 
she came flying up that thing and and of course wanted to make sure everybody was okay and once she figured out everybody was okay it was fine and I could still drive the truck so we after the cops got there we still had to take the truck in and get the tires on it because that's what we were supposed to do in the first place Mm -hmm. so we go in and we meet my dad and he says well did you get the tires on and I says "Uh, no why not I says dad I wrecked your truck oh my goodness his hard hat flew across that room and he says what did you do to my truck and his hard hat's flying away and I'm just kind of going it wasn't my fault dad you know and it took a tirade for probably five minutes of him yelling about what I did to his truck but understand he's had several experiences with me wrecking cars or doing stupid things when he finally calmed down he was he was very thankful that none of us were hurt Uh and he said well we can fix the truck you know it it was going to cost something but we could fix the truck but that scottish temper came out in full force that was the same temper that i saw from grandpa mclean okay never saw it from grandpa nelson grandpa nelson was always very very mild until the alzheimer's kicked in Mm -hmm. when the alzheimer's kicked in he became more aggressive in fact he scared my he scared darby my littlest brother to death because darby was probably only four or five when he had the alzheimer's Grandpa had some tulips out there and Darby went out and picked a tulip and grandpa stomped his foot and yelled at Darby and says, you leave my little t- babies alone. Darby went in the house crying and screaming and because grandpa had yelled at him, but that uh-huh. was the Alzheimer's. Yeah. And maybe that's where my, as part of my nursing confession uh-huh. is I can, I can see that it wasn't Gramps. It wasn't Gramps talking to Darby. Yeah. It was the Alzheimer's, which is, you don't want to get me off on Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's hurts. Uh, Alzheimer's is like losing your loved one every single day. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, you lose a piece of them every single day. And I've seen, I've seen people cry over the Alzheimer's because they, no one, they didn't recognize them. You know, mm-hmm. like, so Alzheimer's is tough. And we've gone through it with Carl's mom and my dad, my mom my grandpa, you know, we've seen that. So yeah, Alzheimer's scares me to death, but we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so building on those kinds of stories of courage and stories of difficulty makes me realize that I could do hard things. Yeah. You know, I've got in my genes, the ability to do hard things. And I also think that the Lord knows what hard things I can handle. Uh uh-huh hard things i absolutely cannot handle and so i have never had to deal with those things yet maybe when i'm stronger maybe when i'm i maybe i will but there are certain things that i think the lord knows that that would burn me instead of just tearing me apart Mm -hmm. and so i haven't had to deal with those but there have been other hard times and hard things that i've had to do um two of them are related to nursing yeah. You know, from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to be a nurse. Uh-huh. I never wanted to be anything else. I didn't think of anything else. So when I was in high school, I joined the Future Nurses Association, you know, but I never wanted to be anything but a nurse. But no, I did not take all my animals and take care of the animals. I didn't want to be a vet. No way. I, you know, I just, I just wanted to care for people. Mm-hmm. And nursing was the thing that allowed me to do that. Yeah. I've always been kind of the caregiver. When I was nine, I started babysitting and taking care of my brothers and sisters when my mom and dad went to work. So my mom worked in Brigham City. So here I am a nine-year-old and I've got the care of all my brothers and sisters. My sister was four, was 14 at that point, but she was off with her friends. Uh-huh. She never really took care of the kids. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was probably 12 and I had the kids and we had a little ice cream shop about four miles from the house. And I got in the car and I put all the kids in the back of the station wagon and I drove up to the ice cream shop and got them all ice cream. And we had a policeman there that knew my family very well. (laughs) And so Matt drives up to me and he says, 
Chris? And I said, yes, sir. And he says, you don't have a license. And I go, no, I don't. He says, then you need to get this car home and I don't want to see you driving it again. <laughs> I mean, yes, sir. And then of course he had to tell my mom too. But the kids wanted ice cream and so I took them for ice cream. But I was the caregiver for my uh -huh. brothers and sisters all the way through school. Um, even when I was working at the coat factory in Brigham City, we were paid by piecework and mom and I worked at the same factory. Okay. Mom was slow enough that she never made, as she had to work really hard all day to make the quota. I was fast enough in doing what I did that I would have my quota made by noon. And then anything else was just extra. But having that knowledge, then the kids, if they would miss the bus from Howell to Snowville, which was quite frequently, I would drive back from Brigham City to Howell, take them to school, and then come back to Brigham City to work. Oh, wow. Because I could make my quota through the day. And they uh -huh. didn't care as long as you made your quota. Uh -huh. So if I made my quota, I could go ahead and leave and take them to school and bring them back. Right. Um, so that happened from the time that I bought my car. And I bought my car when I was 16. And that was another time I saw my dad's Scottish temper go because I bought it, had mom co-sign for it. And he said, I didn't need a car. He didn't like my choice in my car. It was my brown beast. It was the Dodge. Lasted better than anything I ever had. I mean, we had that car when we were still married. Wow. That was the car we had in Seattle. I and mean, we had that car for a long time. But he didn't want me to buy it. I was probably 17. I had a full-time job, so I was making all the payments and everything. Uh -huh. But that was the car that, that was my second car because he had bought me Belby, which is, which is a old blue Belvedere. That was the car I went to school with. That's uh -huh. the car that I was under the hood of with my butt stuck up in the air when I met dad. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well... It wasn't the best site that he saw, I guess, but, you know, I asked him to come down and help me start it because his roommate was my best friend from high school. Okay. But um, that was the car that I also put diesel in instead of gas. And so my dad had to take my little blue car and hook it up to the backhoe and shake it up and down like this to get all the diesel out of it. You know, it's like, uh -huh. yeah, like shaking a kid to get the chocolate out of his mouth or something. <laughs> taking my little car up and down trying to get all the diesel out and then he had to redo the engine to clean it all out so that was one and then the second time I ran it up the guide wire on the telephone pole and just and he had to come down and pull it off and so you know I mean you can see where my dad me and cars were a constant yeah yeah constantly I mean it was the same well, we went as a bunch of kids from Mutual and we took a tractor and went up around the reservoir in the wintertime and somebody was pulling the tractor. They were pulling us on a car hood. Mm -hmm. So we're behind the car hood after like a sled. Well, as the car hood came around the corner of the reservoir, it swung the tractor into the reservoir. So my dad had to come and pull the reservoir, the tractor out of the reservoir. So you can see why, you know. Yeah. My, my dad and when I mentioned cars, he goes, oh no. Yeah, yeah. But I remember that I was babysitting even other people's kids at nine years old. Wow. But I always, yeah, I was always the caregiver. Uh-huh. Always me. Even I think with my mom, I was a, a more a caregiver. Um, so I was always wanted to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, of course, I went the first year and just did my basics still wanted to be in nursing but I couldn't get into the nursing program until I had all my basics done mm -hmm. I got my basics done and went to apply for the nursing school by then I was married uh-huh came back to school and I was expecting my first child and so I applied for the nursing program there were 40 spaces of, or 100, there were 40 spaces available in that program there were 100 applicants for that program so very, very competitive. Uh -huh. I had a 4.0 in the classes that they used for their prerequisite. Right. So it wasn't the prerequisites, but they found out I was pregnant and they said, uh, no, we're not going to give you a space in the program because it's a wasted space because you'll have this baby, you'll drop the program. It's a wasted space. Mm -hmm. um, so they tried every way they could to keep me out of the program. 
you know, of course, they made me make my own uniforms. They sent me to Salt Lake the first semester. I can remember in November going around Point of the Mountain, being hugely pregnant and putting chains on my car. And it's like, okay. And they assigned yeah. me to an orthopedic ward. I'd walk in and my patients would see how pregnant I was because I stuck out like here. Uh -huh. They'd say, I think we can move ourselves. I go, great, that's awesome. I'm glad you can do that. I don't think they wanted me having that baby on their, their bed or something, you know. Uh -huh. But so um, Kenny was the, the um, everybody wanted to feel my stomach with Kenny. You know, because these are all nursing students, first year nursing students. Oh, is he kicking? Is he kicking? So I ended up my semester on the 18th of December. Well, Kenny was born the 21st of December, and I had to go back on the 3rd of January. Wow. And it was so it was like, okay, so we shuffle baby between people on, on campus, you know, I'd take, cause I'd have to leave at five in the morning. So Carl would take him to campus with him. And then I'd pick him up at two when I came home. Yeah. So um, the next semester, our instructor got pregnant. Well, hello, they made all kinds of excuses for them. So she wanted to accelerate the program so she could be through with school by the mm -hmm. time her baby came. So that next semester we accelerated it. So we did double the semester. We did wow. the semester in half the time. And I have a newborn baby at home. And I'm thinking, this is not fair. Yeah. Um, but it gave me that less next semester so that I could do my reports for the following semester. Awesome. So I was able to do something out of that. You know, so when we went to Arizona for a, a Carl's internship that summer, I would just take Kenny to the library and I'd get all my research done at the library for my next semester's papers. So I had my next semester's papers almost written uh -huh. by the time the next semester started. That's incredible. So then they decided maybe I was really going to stick with this program. So my last semester, we're at Children's Hospital. I'm feeding a patient and I pass out. And I'm going, okay, this isn't cool. So they dropped me to the emergency room in, at Children's Hospital and the lab records back and says, you know, you're pregnant. And I go... Uh, no, not so. Yes, you are. So I finished the second semester pregnant with Matt, uh -huh. or that last semester pregnant with Matt, and then um, took my boards with two kids. <laughs> wow. And it's like, okay. So I figured if that didn't scare me out, nothing was going to scare me out. And I'm glad it didn't because nursing has been a very fulfilling job for me. Mm -hmm. It's a job that I could work around my schedule at home, around my kids, around something that I loved. I didn't have to be, you know, I didn't have to work every day. I never let it interrupt my family. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I tried not to let it interrupt my family very much. So I would work nights. Yeah. So that I could be home when you went to school. Yeah. Um, and I, and it was, I was able to work 11 to seven because they had eight hour shifts instead of 12. Okay. Oh, I could still go to your things at school and then go to work at 11. Mm -hmm. um, but nursing has been, I, it's, there have been some awesome times at a nursing and there have been some crushing times. Mm -hmm. um, I, I still enjoy nursing. Yeah. I still love the fact that I can help people. I still love the fact that I can somehow maybe make hard times a little easier for someone that's going through some tough stuff. Right. Um, I remember one little girl that was in a car wreck and it was in Southern, she was in Southern Utah. So I had her at Utah Valley Hospital. She was 10 and her whole family of eight had been killed in this car wreck. Uh-huh. So there was no one left. She was going to go live with an aunt and an uncle. And yeah. I mean, she was in a body cast from neck to, to feet. She was told about total body cast. She was banged up pretty bad. And I remember going into her and asking her if she was hurting. And she says, no, I'm okay. And I says, are you sure? I can give you something for pain to help you if you want. 
And she says, no, just pray with me. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And I think that's back to my conviction, my religiosity in my family, in my life. Yeah. Back to my conviction that there's someone there that hears, answers, loves, protects, helps. Uh-huh. So I prayed with her and asked her again if she wanted something for pain. And she says, no. She says, he's here. And, and I just kind of went, who's here? And she says, Jesus is here. He helped me last night. And so when I saw, when I see that kind of faith coming from little kids, yeah, it just increases my own faith uh-huh. that he is there because he held her. I mean, it was like, there was no way she could have made it through all of that pain without him being there. And that wasn't the first time I had that kind of experience. Yeah. In nursing, um, there's a picture out there. You've seen it on Facebook where the nurse is there and behind her is the savior with his hands over hers. And that's what it is with nursing. Every day I go into nursing. Every single day it's, I can feel his hands on mine. And my prayer always is, please help me to ease the comfort, to comfort, to care, and not to let anybody die. That was my motto. Yeah. Not on my shift. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know you may die, but I don't want you to do it on my shift. You know, it's selfish of me because I didn't want to, I didn't like that kind of feeling, but I know that every time I went into nursing, he was there. And there have been other times when like we had a lady in a Christmas time. Mm-hmm. She had three small girls. She was spending the hospital Christmas in the hospital. They hadn't even gotten any Christmas whatsoever because she had been sick. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you girls and dad, we went out and bought Christmas for this family. I don't know if you remember it or not, but we went out and yeah. bought dolls and baby things and Christmas for this family of three little uh-huh. girls. And we took it up after she had kind of gone to sleep. We kind of worked it with the nurses. And we took it up and we put it all in her room without waking her up. So when her daughters and her husband came in to the hospital the next morning, which was Christmas Day, Christmas was sitting there in their room. And it was just an amazing, I wasn't there. I didn't uh-huh. work that day. But it was just an amazing feeling to think that this family had Christmas because we were touched to provide it for her. Yeah. And anybody could have done it, but it was one of those things that makes me love nursing more Mm -hmm. because I can make a difference sometimes in people's lives. And it may not be much of a difference. Maybe it's just holding their hand. You know, maybe it's just giving them a smile. You know, maybe it's cracking a weird joke. Uh, You know, nursing people have weird senses of humor we're kind of on the macabre side. We just kind of laugh at things that other people don't think are funny. <laughs> you know, in the hospital, you get gold stars for pooping and peeing. Or yep. anywhere else, it's not a big deal. But yeah, yeah. You get those gold stars in the hospital. And it never changed. And it didn't matter where I was at nursing. Because I tried a lot. Uh-huh. Poor Kenman ended up babysitting when I was working at the doctor's office which was a lot, unfortunately, to put on him. But I, I never lost my love for nursing. And even now, I'm almost 70, and I'm still nursing. Yeah. I'm not in the hospital, but I'm still, I'm still a nurse. And I think it's in my core. And I'm glad that it was in my ancestors' core. And mm-hmm. glad it was in Fern's core. It was, there was something that touched us all of us because I have a niece that's a nurse you know I have that another cousin that's a nurse I mean there's there's something genetically in us that nursing is a perfect fit yeah for us as a career and those are the kind of stories I want to uncover with family history but those are also the stories that make me stand a little taller because there is something there that is in my system that this is, this is almost a calling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like this is what I'm meant to be. Yeah. 
you know, I can think of lots of other jobs and I've done lots of other jobs. I mean, I've done everything from routing out the windows on camper shells with a router to being a janitor. I've done lots of jobs, you know, going to school, paying for your own schooling. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like you guys have found out, you do a lot of, a lot of strange jobs to get through school. Yeah. And so it's not like I haven't had experience doing other jobs, but when I look at other careers, there was never anything other than nursing. It's always been, this is something that I can do. This is something that I can share. This is something that's deep within me. And it's also something that drives people crazy because as a nurse, sometimes I wanna solve the problems. Yeah which people, which I shouldn't. And so I've had to learn and I'm still learning the fact that sometimes people don't want my solutions. Sometimes people just want an ear. Mm -hmm. And that's what I can give them is just an ear to listen and maybe some suggestions and you make the solutions that are best for you. But sometimes being the charge nurse, you have to make some decisions for people. You have to take that almost out of their hands and say, this is what we have to do. And so sometimes you take that choice away from them because that's the only way they're gonna get better. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We, have to, we have to do this so we can get to the next step. Yeah. And I think that that's probably my biggest gripe about healthcare now healthcare the way it is right now is non-sustainable we have got to improve healthcare where there's healthcare for everybody mm-hmm. where those people who have the money or the insurance don't get the better health care right and we've got to get health care we've got to go back up and stop it at a trickle instead of when the dam breaks yeah and like there are patients that come into the hospital that are there for chronic illnesses. When a hospital spends the majority of their money and their funding on chronic conditions that could have been with the proper care and the proper um, resources, could have been stocked maybe upstream, but now we're spending a majority of the funding downstream to correct a chronic disease. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, but, but in order for healthcare to do that, it's a partnership between healthcare and people. Yeah. We have to be able to have the resources for people to help manage their own health so that they have a partner and they have a guide and they have someone that's walking side by side with them to help them manage their own health care so that they don't end up in the hospital in chronic heart failure right. or chronic kidney disease. Yeah. But I, and I think COVID is changing the way healthcare is going to be presented. I hope it's going to change for the better. But no, however it changes, I'm still going to be a part of it because it's still the way I connect to my world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if I'm standing in the store. There must be a flashing neon light that goes, nurse, 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 nurse. Because you can go anywhere and somebody will start telling you about their kid's asthma or their surgery or something. And I'm going, um, I'm just buying a Reese's Pieces bar. <laughs> I don't know if I want to hear all this information. Right. But, it, you know, it may be something that just shines out. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So that's me. I'm I'm a mom first, a grandma second. Well, I'm a wife first, I guess, and then a mom and then a grandma. And my family means everything to me. And my religion means everything to me. And, and my religion and my family have made it so that I can continue on in nursing and be compassionate about it. Without mm-hmm. the support of my family and my religion, I couldn't do nursing. I, I couldn't deal with the downs. Um, yeah. I remember a little boy that we had at the school that was a severe abuse case. Mm-hmm. It was one that we took to court. 
It was one that I had to go testify in court to. It was yeah. one that was an abuse by an aunt and uncle because he'd already been taken out of his biological parents' home because of abuse. Uh-huh. And I remember coming home and sitting on the trampoline and crying. And dad came out to talk to me and he says, what's going on? And I remember saying, it shouldn't hurt this much to be a child. Yeah. But, you know, that one went forward and it was tough. So it directly affected his aunt and uncle's lifestyle too. Uh-huh. Then they lost their retirement that they had planned for. And we didn't plan out to be that way. I mean, we didn't start out to be that. We just wanted this little kid out of the situation and out of the abuse. Right. But it shouldn't have hurt that much for that child to be a child. It shouldn't hurt to be a to child. It shouldn't hurt to, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to deal with that much hurt. Right. And maybe as a nurse, I can help some of that hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I can be a safe place. Maybe I can, I don't know. And I think we're circling back to where we started. Um, you have a huge heart for children of all ages, whether that's the children that you work with, your own children, um, your friends, you have a very compassionate, generous, giving, caring heart. Thank you. Children seem to like me better than adults sometimes. Adults and I are kind of sometimes at crosshairs because I think some adults are stupid, but that's okay. But children are honest. Uh, you know, yeah, it's me. So I've got grandchildren that I can love and children that I can love. And, and I think my, one of my, and this is going to sound really silly is my grandkids, when I could read them stories, when they couldn't read, they wanted grandma to read them stories. Now they're all old enough that they can read their own stories. And so grandma went through this stage where she goes, well, my grandkids don't need me anymore because they don't need me to read them stories. Yeah. So grandma goes through this stage sometimes where she thinks, well, the kids don't want to see me. I'm just an old lady right now. But fortunately, I have great grandkids who, even if they don't want to see me, tell me they want to see me when I see them. You know, they may not, they may still think she's an old lady and what does she know? But they, at least if, if they don't like me, they, they convince me very well that they do like me. So I have to keep my grandkids because they're the ones that tell me that I'm okay. And I think it's, you have such a wealth of knowledge of your, your ancestors, those who went before. And having that, that treasure chest to pass on to the future generations. Well, I have it's a so amazing. that I'm working on. And hopefully I'll get it done. My next, I don't know. I won't say a diet deadline. You may find it in pieces when I die. I don't know. But you have a legacy that is absolutely amazing on both sides of your family. This family has been watched over for generations of time. Mm-hmm. It be from both sides, from all sides. This is a family that the Lord has had his eyes on. And there have been um, tremendous spiritual outpourings in this family coming from all directions. There is this huge melding that has put this family in under the Lord's care. And I see that the more I study the genealogy, the more I study their stories, the more I, I see what they had to go through, the more I, you know, it's and it's probably that way for every family probably says the same thing but i'm not studying every family i'm studying Mm -hmm. our family Mm -hmm. and so i see it in our family and i'm just amazed that i got hooked into this family you know because dad's side has a tremendous legacy Um, but when you look at how many people came from nauvoo across as pioneers there's lots of people on both sides that have Mm -hmm. come across. There are lots of people that joined the church in Scotland or in Denmark or 
England and left home, you know, there's a story of the girl who was on the train leaving and her husband walked right past her and didn't recognize her because he would have beat her. He would have killed her because she was leaving. All she had was her mother's rings and a little bit of money and her kids. And he walked right past her, didn't even see her. Wow, that's incredible. But, um, you know, so there's stories like that everywhere. But I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I don't know how I'm so lucky and so blessed to have what I have, to have the husband that I have, the children that I have, the grandchildren that I have. Oh, I'm just extremely blessed. I, there's no other way about it. It's mm-hmm. not anything that I did. It's just, I have been blessed. Yeah. And I see that you recognize that in your life. What is the biggest legacy that you can give going forward? I think it's my love of the Savior and Mm -hmm. my trust in him and the fact that he'll get you through tough times. There will be tough times, but you have it in you to go through tough times. Yeah. You have that spiritual and physical and mental and emotional legacy that will help you get through it if you'll just stay focused on the Savior. But that's the legacy I would leave my kids and my grandkids is that they are never alone. And no matter what they do and what they go through, there's always going to be people who love them. The Savior is always going to be there beside them if they'll just hold on. Because it's going to get tough. It's going to get hard. Mm -hmm. We're all going to go through some tough times. We will go through tough times. There will Mm -hmm. be a lot more tough times. There, there's going to be, there's got to be. And I think that that's the legacy I, w- I would hope that my kids and my grandkids have is trust, trust in him. Mm-hmm. Know that you're never alone. You know, reach out to your family. Don't shut your family out. Um, I know a lot of times we don't want our family to know our big, deep secrets. Um, and that's what my big fear was here was I thought that you guys, the kids would be on it. And I thought, oh crap, I'm going to make a dummy of myself. But don't count them out. Yeah. So I think that's it. Thank you for all of the nuggets and the wisdom. Some of the, some of the main takeaways that I'm getting are you're never alone. and you can do hard things and there are people rooting for you well if you ever think you can't do it just remember I went back to school and got a bachelor's degree at 68 69 years old 68 years old yeah you're never alone you can do hard things you've all done hard things what else did you get out of it besides I rambled You are a storyteller and you have a wealth of stories to share. Okay. And it's been so fun to be with you. I've learned so much about you and about our ancestors, about me. And we're all connected. Yeah, we are. What can you think? Kenny, what'd you think of it? Well, that was great. I, again, you know, the, the power of the stories, the, the uh, ability to, you know, connect the dots. It was, it was fascinating. It was great. Yeah, you know, you can tell a story five times and tell it five different ways if you're telling it for five different reasons. It doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were here. Hi, Lise. What did you think? Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. I've not heard most of those stories, actually, especially like the further back the generations, like the less I've heard of them. I didn't even know any of these people. Yeah. What a treasure. I thought it was great. (laughs) 
as we share our stories, it encourages others to share theirs. And that's how we build connections. That's how we show our vulnerability. That's how we find the hope. We realize that we're not alone. We find the courage. Oh, they did it. I can do it too. We, feel, we learn of faith. We learn of the Savior's help in our lives. We learn that we're all in this together. And so, like Ken was saying, as we share our stories, even though it's a different story every time, there's a different lesson every time, depending on where people are at and what they need. They'll get what they need from it. Well, it was well done. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for being with us. It's been, like I said, it's been a treasure chest of, of a story of connection, of courage, of spirituality, of religion, of faith, of support, determination, love coming from those who have gone before that we can now pass on to the future. Right. And the future is bright. <laughs>